The Forum at 8 on SAFM. Eight minutes after eight, and thank you so much for joining us this morning on the Forum at Eight. Now, the skills levels of black African youth is still lacking behind that uh, compared to colored Indian and uh, white uh, youth in South Africa. Statistics South Africa uh, says that the skills level of black youth aged between 25 and 34 has not increased as it should have over the past 20 years. Now, this was revealed in the recent report on youth unemployment from the year 1994 to 2014. On the forum today this morning, we asking the question, how can we bridge the skills gap? And joining us for this discussion, Sandy Lezungu, Vice President of the Black Business Council. Thanks for your time. Thank you, Satina. And we're also joined by Jill Connellan, who is the Chairperson of the Association for Skills Development in South Africa. Thanks for your time as well, Jill. Thanks very much. Nice to be here. And before I get into it with the panel, uh, as always, the lines are open, so you are welcome to call in and join in the discussion. The number to call in on is 0891-104-208, or you can tweet or SMS us at AM Live on SAFM or at Sakina Kamwendo. Alternatively, uh, 34701 is the number to the SMS line. Now, these statistics that came out yesterday, uh, Sandile Zungu, were you as surprised as the rest of us uh, when uh, you know, the numbers were actually revealed? Well, um, I was uh, very shocked, to be very honest. Uh, I was very shocked at the extent of the gap um, and inequality between, the, you know, call it the white youth and black youth. Um, just to restate, more than 60% of uh, young people in the employ, in employment, uh, among white people are skilled. More than 60% and uh, versus less than 20% of black people uh, or African youth in employ are skilled. And the, the balance obviously performing menial and unskilled uh, tasks. Uh, that is quite shocking, I mean, given that uh, it's now 20 years into our democracy and given the fact that there have been so many initiatives um, involving government and business, uh, such as recently the uh, National Skills Accord, the Basic Education Accord, uh, Youth Employment Accord, which all of them have an emphasis on skills for young people. Uh, it, seems, it seems to me that uh, they are not yielding uh, the results that they ought to yield. And so my shock really, uh, you know, derived from the extent of uh, inequality um, more than just the fact that uh, black people are unskilled in employment, which was always a known fact, but the scale itself is quite shocking. And uh, just to reiterate uh, those numbers uh, for our listeners in case you miss them, um, what the statistic shows is that skill employment among whites reached 61.5% in 2014 from 42% in 1994. Indians and Asians 50.7% uh, from 26% in 1994. Coloreds 225 from 12% in 1994. And Blacks 17.9% from 15% in 1994. Now, coming to you, Jill, um, listening to what uh, Sandile was saying, what do you think are some of the causes of uh, this stagnation or the lack of growth, as it were? 
Thanks very much. I think that one of, you know, when you talk about causes, we can go on all day. One of the primary causes, though, is the ineffective ability between government and, and the plans of government, the, the strategic framework, the development plan, and business, uh, represented by, I guess, Busa and, and others, to effectively engage. There's a dancing around the table, and what happens is that government puts wonderful plans on the table and business takes these plans and unpacks them and sees how they can benefit to um, grow their own businesses, to be sustainable, to be globally competitive. And what happens is in the middle, a huge, huge gap continues to grow. And that gap comes from the fact that while this dance happens between government at high level and business at high level, the people on the ground and those particularly in the communities, and when we talk about these statistics, it is absolutely essential that we look at, happen, at what is happening in urban as well as in rural communities with the youth. And the lack of education, um, access to decent education and so on, I mean, is huge. So I, I really think that at the, at the heart of it, though, it is the ineffective ability to engage. Mm. And, and, and so what would you like to see happen in that space, Jill? How could they engage more effectively, according to you? I think that what we need to look at, and, and seriously, I don't think that I'm an expert on the subject, but I do think that it's about the will. Um, do we really want this country to change? And that seems like a very soft issue, but in fact it really, really is a mindset. And I think that there is a lot of, everybody's trying to protect themselves in their little corner, and until there is... Um, a release in some way, uh, an ability for people to say, I'm going to put my uh, my issues aside and, and let's sit down together. And, and really, I think I'm being very idealistic. But unfortunately, that is the truth of the matter. It's politics versus business. And in the middle, the human beings are suffering. Sandy Lezungu? Well, I also... I also uh, like Sorry, to... could I ask Sandile to speak up a bit? I can't hear him. Yeah, can, can you hear Thank you. Thank you. Yes, I was saying that there is a commitment deficiency um, in this country, a very pervasive commitment deficiency. Um, because uh, the, the root cause of all this, um, I'll trace it back to basic education. Um, because uh, basic education is weak and it feeds uh, poor employment and uh, economic performance, uh, including the poor skills among African uh, youth. Um, Commitment deficiency, our parents are, are, are showing lack of commitment. Our teachers are showing lack of commitment. Business is showing lack of commitment to uh, stick to the deals that they enter into with other social partners. And the government seems to be having lack of commitment, uh, which derives in part from just lack of capacity uh, to follow through, lack of capacity to understand what they're entering into. And the outcomes are, as you see them, uh, poor skills at employment level. And so we have to go back to the basics. Um, do we want this country to work? Uh, are we committed to the vision and objectives of the National Development Plan? Um, are we committed to creating 5 million jobs by 2020, which is almost like six years away? Are we cre committed to creating 11 million new jobs by 2030, which is um, only uh, 16 years away? Uh, if so, 
then there's a lot that is required for all of us. Uh, including mm. business and and, and, and that's, what I, that's what I want to go to next, uh, Sandy Lezungu, in terms of businesses and uh, businesses' part to play in all of this. Where do you think business has fallen short? Well, business tends to be um, focused on the classical, um, you know, the love of faith model, uh, which is bottom line. Uh, how can we increase our bottom line? When we, when we face with difficulties like we are, in the global economy, uh, that um, single-minded focus becomes even more manifest. Uh, people are just focusing on how can we take shortcuts, how can we take advantage of whatever money is put on the table uh, to increase the bottom line. Uh, long-termism, commitment to making this country work, commitment to see this country catapult itself to a higher growth trajectory and higher development trajectory. Um, to be, tends to be sacrificed. So, indeed, business is not showing commitment in the long-term future of this country. And therefore, you'll see them entering in high-profile accords, national skills accords, mm-hmm. youth employment accords. But as soon as the ink is dry, they just forget about that and say, give us the money uh, so that we can um, increase our bottom line. And how uh, do we change that? Because... Uh, May I, may I jump in there a little bit because I, I think that two very important points have been raised by Sandelia and I don't want us to lose them, if that's okay. Go um, ahead. The one is that Sandelia talks about the Department of Basic Education and obviously the whole issue around basic education. And then uh, in the next sentence we talk about uh, how are we going to create all these jobs in, in the space of time. And, and those two key areas is, is a question of how do we bring those two together. Now, if you look at basic education and the fact that teacher training has been taken away in, in the college phase, uh, nursing in the same way, and then we say who's going to be teaching this basic education because what we see, and, and I mean we can talk statistics and we're not here to do that, but really we have evidence that from a very young age our children, and here again I refer to the fact that the majority of our children are not coming from um, an essentially privileged schooling system. We've got two separate schooling systems. The majority schooling system, from a very young age, our children at the age of about seven or eight start losing competitiveness in terms of their reading and literacy skills. So by the time they reach high school and well into high school, they are so far behind the uh, independent uh, examination board's requirements for schools that many of them drop out. And it's it's those kinds of issues that then lead to um, unemployment and joblessness. So we we cannot talk about creating jobs if we don't look at those root causes, as in, do we have effective teachers teaching our children, and do we have an effective schooling system that keeps the children in school and interested in being in school and and, and taking their education further? Now, whilst I take that point... mm. These are by no means new discussions. These are no. not new arguments. We are 20 years into this democracy and we are still talking about the very same things that we spoke about 20 years ago. So brings me back to Sandile's point of this mm. commitment uh, mm. deficit. How do we move forward from here on in? Because it's all good and well us diagnosing the problem over and over again. The fact of the matter is we're not moving forward. 
Sandile, for me, your your Black Business Council would be a key instrument to uh, working towards that commitment because that is, in, in fact, the, the point I made also about engagement. It's about the commitment to make that engagement work. Do you, you know, I, I don't know, but I believe that you should be responsible in some way for bringing that commitment to bear. Is, is that realistic? Well, um, there is absolutely no doubt that um, as the Black Business Council, we see ourselves as part of the solution. Um, but we have to diagnose the problem correctly. I think the statistics released yesterday uh, help us in that direction. Uh, we have, to be, um, we have to, to, to be filled with sufficient shame, all of us, uh, for all of us to then rise to the challenge. Um, but we must not be despondent. Um, this is 20 years into our democracy, you know, the 300 years of uh, an attempt to uh, deprive us of our humanity um, cannot be wiped off in 20 years. And there are many excellent initiatives that have been put in place uh, involving uh, private sector. I think there's a commitment to build basic education, I think an initiative uh, that involved uh, government and uh, business at a high, a very senior level, which was announced uh, only a couple of weeks ago. These are all excellent initiatives. Um, so, but at the same time, I think uh, what needs to, to happen is that um, basic things like corruption, uh, which is very pervasive, um, you know, which you see at various levels. I mean, the, the, the skills levies are mm-hmm. taken from from gov from business, um, and um, they are not in in essence being deployed appropriately. And that obviously creates a sense of despondence among business to say, look, we are paying these taxes, we are paying these levies, but they are not being applied appropriately. So we've got to be harsh on um, corruption. Um, and uh, but you are absolutely right that um, the, the basic fundamental problem lies lies at the core of uh, education, the foundation phase. Um, you know, people learning to use computers at a very early age, uh, parents being involved, showing commitment to what their kids, uh, the homework, and teachers being at the right place at the right time and teaching. Uh, and so on and so forth. Those are basics. I mean, as you correctly say, Sakina, these are new, not new things. A lot of talk shows uh, by ourselves have been focused on this uh, basic issue. Uh, but again, we have to accept that uh, we we, uh, we are filled with shame. Uh, the statistics don't lie, mm. um, and something ought to be done very urgently. But Sandile, can I can I just hold on there for me, Joe? Okay, I'm sure. going to have to ask you Thanks. to hold that comment. We have to take a break. When we come back, I see we already have some listeners on the line. We'll come to you. We'll take your calls, and uh, also um, you will take uh, some of your messages as well. Uh, they are coming through. I'll put them to our panel here this morning: Sandile Zungu and uh, Joel Connellan. Uh, well, I'm told we can go straight to the calls. Let's go to uh, Mohamoti in Motlakeng. Good morning. Morning, how are you, Sakina? Well, and you? I'm okay. Sakina, you know, I always get worried when there are challenges facing us as a society in South Africa that we always want to blame government. I mean, I mean, Sakina, I don't see the commitment and the goodwill that comes from business in terms of upholding all this legislation and conditions that government creates for South Africa to be a thriving society. I mean, as an example, Sakina, I mean, in Ramsonten, we are a mining town. I've been living a mining town for so long. 
None of these mining houses have made any investment in terms of uh, education. I and mean, we don't have even a single laboratory that has been built by the mine. But you also, Sakin, have to look at this issue of teacher-learner ratio. I mean, in Mutaken, mm. you have uh, a teacher teaching 50 kids, and just in town, you have a ratio of 1 is to 30. So how do we address these issues when there's no goodwill and commitment, but also, Sakina, in terms of all this legislation that Casper, we need to have a mechanism of evaluating, because, Sakina, I mean, take your uh, simple your employment equity. You have the same uh, black manager, the same level with the, with the white manager, a black white manager, and in three times what the black managers any, but when they put the report through their skills plan to the Department of Labor, it's as if there's transformation, and none is happening, Sakina. We have to wake up and smell the coffee, we will face another revolution by the poor in this country. Mm. Thank okay, you. got you there, uh, Mukhamoti. And perhaps these stats are something that we sorely needed to be thrown in our faces. Let's go to uh, Sipo in Orlando. Good morning. Uh, good morning. Sakina, uh, my, my take on this is that, firstly, uh, to Mr. Zongu there, they, they're in positions where they can make decisions to actually change the whole situation, but they are not. For instance, for me, I, I, I don't think we will win. I'm telling you now, next year we'll be discussing the same thing. One of the reasons we have in this situation is because black business people do not have uh, labor-intensive businesses. Like, for instance, we don't have a black-owned retail uh, chain stores. We don't have a black-owned uh, garages. We don't have black... Everything that's there, it's white-owned. And you must remember, it's also a political issue because white people are not keen in terms of making us win or share the, the, the pie in the economy. So they'll always close the gaps. For instance, the issue of education. I've heard you talking about the, the, the basic education. Currently, we have uh, people who are qualified, but they are not getting those opportunities. And the core reason is that the businesses that they want to work in, they are not owned by them. So the challenge is to Mr. Zumo and the people that he works with to start businesses, that will be black-owned. Then you'll see a change. Other than that, you must just forget. Thank All right. you very much. Thank you so much, Sipo and Orlando. Let's go to Durban now. Lorraine, good morning. Good morning to you, Sakina, and your guests as well. I'd just like to comment on what one of the speakers said about uh, businesses wanting to increase their bottom line. And the point I want to make is, you know, we have to look at basic education skills like so many of the speakers have been saying. And my concern is, you know, if a school, a government school offers matric, for instance, if you compare the prices they charge compared to what private business colleges are charging, I think basic it, the education department needs to look into this because the prices are so ridiculous Mm. For people who come from poorer communities who cannot afford the average 7,000 for a matric for six subjects. Yep. I mean, uh, for heaven's sake. That's a good point you make, Lorraine. I have so much more to say, but I just want to say let's look at that as a starting point. Because when you want to educate yourself, you can't go through to UNISA if you don't have a matric. So if you're paying 7,000 rand and you're battling to survive, but you want to educate yourself, then how is that going to be possible? That's a good point. Thank you so much, Lorraine and Durban. Um, uh, let me come to you first, Jill, because you had a point that you wanted to make before we went to callers. 
Yes, um, thanks very, very much. I, you know, you asked a little while ago about what business can do. And while I was listening um, to Zoom, you were speaking, I, was, I, I realized that we have, for example, in our schooling system issues where the white system very much, uh, especially the Model C and, or the old Model C and that kind of uh, culture, they are in the schooling system. They are career advice. There is a lot of sporting activities and a lot of cultural surrounding activities debating and all kinds of uh, clubs and so on. Now, I believe that that is an area where business can get involved. I was appalled when I went uh, a couple of years ago to London to the World Skills Congress and saw that we only had one team from South Africa and it was in landscape gardening. And that was all we could muster as South Africans. So I think until we actually bring business back into the schooling system and especially into the more rural environments, and where we can then make schooling a holistic environment where people can get involved and it's not just a place where we go and open up our textbooks and, le uh, and learn English. We, we're not going to start to shift that commitment that we need. And again, it addresses the issues of, of going back to basic education. Um, so, you know, we're looking mm -hmm. for solutions. And we can't keep talking about the same problems. And I think there's an awful lot around careers and how different occupations are evolving and how business is growing different job types. And I think that there should be in the communities. Do you know that there are communities who don't know that there is an existence of a job outside of working at the pick and pay as a cashier? And, and it's that kind of thinking that I think we can change with business. Well, uh, I want to come back to the whole issue of education. I mean, uh, poor levels of uh, basic education has been identified, but I want to bring in Lorraine's point of the cost of education as well. Couple that with uh, something that Joel mentioned about uh, the two systems of education that we essentially have in the country at the moment. But I'll come to that in just a while. For now, I want to uh, come to Sandile Zungu, uh, Mukhumoti as well as Sipo, both talking about business lacking goodwill with regard to trying to help solve this problem? Well, uh, uh, thanks, Kenneth. Just, just quickly, um, you know, before people become despondent, uh, let's look at the fine print of the statistics released yesterday. Uh, it says 17%, um, 17.9% um, skills among black Africans. Um, but also it says over the last 20 years, uh, the people who are skilled in employment um, have increased from 1.8 million to 3.8 this year. So you know, it's more than doubled in the, in the economy. Um, surely the number of black people who are skilled in employment has increased as well. Um, you know, the fine print doesn't say exactly by how much, mm -hmm. but it has increased in nominal terms. In percentage terms, it's quite shocking because it's less than 20%. It means there's been an increase in number of skilled people in employment. And let's not lose sight of that specific fact. Notwithstanding, uh, going back to that issue of um, you know lack of commitment by by business, it is it is actually true that we've got to be hard on ourselves as business. That maybe we have not come to the part to the extent that we should have. But um, when we talk about building of libraries and laboratories in Mosha King, um I think people tend to be focused on building. Um, quality structures uh, and monuments um, and use that as how well we have done. Um, but the proper living monument that we can actually leave among our people is us being involved in our children's education. 
Statistician General Padi Lehotla says that the skills level of black youth aged between 25 and 34 has not increased as it should have over the past 20 years. And that's what we're talking about on the forum at 8 this morning as we ask you, how can we bridge the skills gap? Uh, Lehotla also went on to say that some of the reasons and some of the causes for this are our apartheid legacy, the closure of teacher and training colleges, weak administration in education, ineffective teaching and the role of parents in the education of their children. And we are in conversation this morning with Jill Connellan, uh, who is the chairperson of the Association for Skills Development in South Africa, as well as Sandile Zungu, vice president of the Black Business Council. And, of course, I see uh, many people coming through, many questions coming along. But, Sandile, you were still speaking before we went to the break. Well, I think uh, just um, briefly, Sakina, I was saying that... um one of the best living monuments we can leave, uh, you know, build for our children is us as parents being involved in our children's education. Um, just to uh, go back to that example of motlaking, you know, the, instead of motlaking, people say, let's build laboratories and build libraries, which are obviously essential. I'm not understating that. But we have got to ask ourselves as people of motlaking, how many of our young children are roaming the streets at 7 o'clock? carrying uh, loose cigarettes for uncles instead of being assisted by us doing the homework and preparing for the following day. Because that's what we should be focusing on, parent involvement in children's education. Uh, clearly, on the issue of black business, um, you know, I love black business, I'm in black business, I'm a champion of black business, but it does not mean that when we own retail, that will therefore naturally be focused and committed to skills development for our people. Um, it, it, business is fundamentally about enhancing the returns on investment, enhancing the bottom line. We've got to be reminded, all of us, black business and white business, that the issue of skills development among our people is about um, the future imperative for our economy. And therefore, it doesn't mean that if you are black, you are naturally focused on or committed to our skills development for our people. We've got to be reminded ourselves that we have that responsibility to upscale our people, even in the companies that we own, Mm -hmm. uh, which, unfortunately, all of us, black and white, um, show this commitment deficit at the moment. And, of course, um, as uh, the statistician general also highlighted, the apartheid legacy is still very much with us in the workplace and contributing to this problem that we are facing right now, Jill. That is absolutely true. But uh, if I may just make a point, during the apartheid legacy, uh, one of the things I encountered which was really particularly sad was, for example, a situation in schools where people that had achieved a standard 7 or a standard 8 or grade 10 or 11 in, in, in our, uh, sorry, grade 9 or 10 in our language, um, would then become the teachers of the generation or the, or the years behind them. And in fact, the, the sadness for me is that despite all of the efforts of government to, to stop this, um, it is continuing. There are unqualified people who are teaching our youth, and th- that is just not being stopped. And, and that is an apartheid legacy that for some reason or other has just continued, and it's at the root cause of some of our problems. And of course, I'd love to get into greater detail, but uh, people are holding on. People want to contribute uh, to this discussion. Let's go to Alex in Randburg. Good morning, Alex. 
Good morning, Sakina. I must say that, uh, firstly, let me comment that the voice of labor is missing in this discussion, how it is uh, uh, structured. And secondly, we have uh, organizations such as uh, the South African Graduate Development Association, which I think can uh, share important experiences uh, with us in this program, particularly uh, with many black graduates who were produced after 1994 but cannot get employment. Thirdly, there is another important study which I think must be linked with this discussion uh, about the school-to-work transition in terms of which uh, white graduates or uh, uh, white youth uh, tend to find employment quicker than black youth. And thirdly, uh, the statistics should not be surprising because year in, year out, the Employment Equity Commission issues out its annual report in terms of which it is clear that uh, the pace of transformation in the private sector is lacking, and uh, which means that uh, less uh, uh, prof- uh, black professionals are employed in the private sector. Lastly, uh, 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 the issue I want to raise is that uh, this statistic must also viewed, must also be looked at in terms of uh, ownership and control in the economy. Who owns businesses? and who controls businesses in terms of management, and who do they employ? Because the statistics do not tell us about how many black and white graduates are unemployed, and who between the two tends to find employment quicker. If I may share my experience, I have worked in the automotive industry producing cars. I can put it to you that of the artisans and technicians, I have worked with blacks were highly qualified with N4, N5, N6, as well as from technical. However, white colleagues we worked with did not even have N3, but they occupied key positions. So there is a lot to these statistics than simply the issue of education at primary and high school. Thank you so much, Alex. And uh, Elton, you calling us from Durban. Good morning. Good morning. Thank you. Uh, I think the, the, the previous caller has just taken the words out of my mouth. Let me add uh, to what he has just said. Are you aware, especially Sandile, are they aware that there are companies that they do not employ black people? I'll mention one here in Durban. In Durban, we've got a company called Hicks. Hello? Yes, we're listening. Hicks? To, does not employ black people. They've got uh, only one race at their sales. They say they don't employ black people because they are always on strike. Second, if you go to these private hospitals here in Durban, you find their reception desk, the majority is only one race. You'll find always six to one. And you ask yourself, but why there is only one race here that is uh, uh, leading these institutions? And you find that the managers, they are the, the, the people that are instituting this racism, because that is a cancer that is causing a black youth not to be employed. Thank you. Thank you so much, Elton in Durban. Jack, you're in Alberton. Good morning. Morning, Sagina. So, you know, I think, uh, you know, South Africa needs strong regional partners. You know, we, we, we can't be the only country in the region that is strong in certain things. And, you know, what, what I'm going to say is not, not xenophobic, but however, 
there are a lot of you know small and medium companies your plumbing companies electrical companies that do a lot of work they don't employ south africans and we don't we, we need to stop you know talking past this issue we need to we need to take it we need to address it um other countries around south africa need to be strong as well they need to train their own people you know they need to employ their own people as well the the other thing is i don't understand how come in in schools where there is maybe 99% sometimes 100% black learners why are they still made to do africans why are they taking that time that creative time that they could have that innovation that they could have to be made to do africans i mean they wasting so much time on something which they should not be doing as well we need we need we need more people who are technical technical, technical oriented but you know our kids are wasting so much time on this africans nothing against mm. it but honestly it is it is just it is just not on i mean my daughter came back um uh, 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 in person the other day with homework from school and the homework was circle the nouns on the below sentence and the sentence was the dog works his tail my daughter went and circled dog and tail and guess what the teacher marked her wrong i mean what what hope do you have then if you got teachers like that in as far as skills development is concerned thank you very mm. much yeah, and I think it is very clear the education issue has been highlighted. And um, I want to get back to that, although we don't have much time, but um, I suppose, you know, as succinctly as we possibly can. But before we go there, if we could perhaps just respond to the issues raised by the listeners uh, during those calls. Um, Alex says whites find it easier uh, to find a work than black youth. So, Sandile, your response to that? Well, I think Alex's uh, comments were absolutely in in the money. They, they were on point. I agree with his sentiments entirely. Um, of course, when one focuses on primary education, um, foundation phase education, it's not um, to the exclusion of other factors which impact on this uh, the shameful state of step. Um, the issue of um, when, when you say apartheid legacy lives on, uh, that's what really mean. That uh, job preservation, which was a uh, character of apartheid patterns in, 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 in the, on the shop floor, uh, continues. Um, I think the caller after Alex uh, talks about uh, the, a certain employer in Durban, mm. or in KZN, who prefers a certain race. He did not mention the race, but yeah. my speculation is uh, in a certain direction. Um, you know, that, that is a fact. Uh, there are some job categories where there's preference for a certain category of, of race in South Africa, uh, to the exclusion of Africans or, or whatever sort of reason. Uh, it's unacceptable. I think there's a point that was mentioned by Putimana uh, Mela, the Deputy Minister and the President yesterday, uh, when these stats were released. Very important and telling point. He says, the emphasis on policies and interventions of government should primarily focus on African and colored youth. Because these are the people who seem to be um, carrying the shorter end of the stick when it comes to skills development. Uh, as for the other factors, indeed, apartheid legacy lives on. Mm. Um, uh, Lunga Colin Duma says, I fully agree with Elton in Durban. It all starts with the managers who perpetrate racism by employing their own race. And then uh, with regard to the issue about uh, education, which I do want us to touch on, um, Sipo Kosa says, SK, I don't know what 
it will take for this government to see that by fixing basic education, it will be more than just that. And Andile Mlondo says... Our government pumps billions into education every year, yet this. Does anyone from the state care whether we get value for money? Now, a few things. Um, I want to go to um, Lorraine's point earlier about the cost of education. Um, Joel, would you like to comment on that? Yes. You know, one point that we need to be considering is the fact that despite the cost of uh, private education, private education is proliferating, it's, it's growing, and certainly corporate business is spending a huge amount of money on private education. But not only that, private schools are proliferating, which tells you again that if you look at the, at the disparity between the two education systems, the one education system, which, which predominantly contains white, middle to upper class people, um, is growing and it's, it's expanding and it includes all of those factors, whereas the other school system is getting their handouts from government without the support from, from business and other uh, parties. And it, it really is just stretching this little rubber band way, way, way too far. And when you consider that in the Eastern Cape you've got classes that consist of 120-plus children, I think that cost is just a factor that then kind of almost gets in the way um, of, of the real problem. But you see, I'm just wondering whether we're getting stuck in uh, regurgitating rhetoric here because listening to Panyaza Lesufi, the MEC of Education in Gauteng a couple of weeks ago, he was actually saying that 85% of his budget goes to salaries. Now, if that leaves 15% for everything else, infrastructure and everything else, um, even though you would have the Department of Public Works and others weighing in, I mean, how then are we realistically hoping to fix the situation, Jill? There's your problem, and it goes back to the point that Sandili made about corruption. You see, corruption doesn't only come from bad people. The corruption has proliferated, I believe, has grown and expanded and, and really has become out of control because many, many of the people that are running our government from councillor level upwards um, are in fact themselves functionally illiterate. And so their corruption stems more from, I think, kind of sucking the sum of, of what they should be doing and also uh, bringing in family members and so on. So the job reservation certainly didn't stop with apartheid either. It, it continues to grow. So uh, corruption is at the seat of that. So when all of this money is going to salaries, I think that a large uh, amount of that blame also goes to the lack of adequate education of our officials and of how the system works because that is actually an appalling statistic. Uh, Sandile, what's your take on that? Well, I, I agree entirely. I think um, when we talk about the, the proliferation of the private education, uh, unfortunately, you know, teachers in the public sector are going on strike at uh, the slightest provocation. Uh, young people uh, taking to the CPT to match for the flimsiest of the, the excuses and the you know, latrine facilities non-existent in, in public schools. All of those things don't inspire much confidence and basically say, for you who can afford, uh, explore another avenue for your kids if you are serious about um, your, your children's long-term education. Um, of course, it's not a solution. That's why you're seeing a proliferation of private sector education. So. Essentially, when Panyaza Lissufi, NEC for Education and Housing, says I'm spending so much on salaries and the rest is little is going towards infrastructure, and whatever little is is going towards 
books distribution and building of infrastructure is itself um, inefficiently, um, you know, uh, expanded, mm. um, you know, and, and corruption, lack of skills, and so on and so forth, being part of the problems. Basically, that that compounds the problem and the crisis in in, in, in basically public education, and all of these factors they inform the quality of skills that will be the, derived from kids going into the employ in 12 years' time. So we've got to arrest that, that situation right now so that we don't come up with these deaths in 12 years' time among, for, for, from the young people entering the, the, the employment market at the time. There was another point uh, that Alex touched on earlier, and that uh, was the one of unemployed graduates. Now, do we know, are we familiar with the skill set that these unemployed graduates are sitting with, and why indeed they are struggling and failing to find employment, Sandile? I think, uh, again, going back to Alex's point, which, as I said, was absolutely correct, um, there's a lot of unemployment among uh, black graduates. Um, people who have gone to university, whether it's University of Limpopo or University of KwaZulu um, Natal or Zululand, um, you know, call it the former Bush colleges or universities, um, those people are not taken seriously by would-be employers um, who will actually prefer white people who have got no skills simply because they speak good English um, and are given a better chance into the employment sector than these people who have gone through, through tertiary. Again, it, it's basically a, a situation of uh, um, black people are not being taken seriously. It's again, the issue, the mindset that that there are some apartheid and colonialism, that possibly white is better than black, and notwithstanding the, the, the differential um, you know, the skills that, that may exist mm. in favor of black at the time. So, so, uh, unfortunately, it's one of those things that can be resolved through a dialogue among business organizations, but also in part through the change in ownership and control patterns in the economy. It raises another interesting question about uh, something that one of my uh, Twitter followers raised about employment equity. So you have this policy in place, and yet these are the stats that we are faced with today as we speak. So how do the two actually then, you know, marry? What's going on? May I just jump in here? I, I do think that it is very, very important that we are very cautious not to simply blanket this into a racial issue because race, the, the race, racial card in, in employment is actually working both ways. And I am the very first person to admit that, that it is in general the white people that are benefiting from this. But if you were to consider, again, going back to literacy and education and quality of education, um, whether the cost is included or not, the fact is this. When you go to an ex-model school or to a traditionally white university, it is the universities themselves that are propagating this uh, effect of inequality. And so business, business is far more pragmatic, I think, than just employing a white or a black person. Quite frankly, I think business would be happy to take black people if it would make their compliance BBE scorecards and employment equity look better. But the not, reality not, that we are faced with is very different, Jill. And, because and, and, the quality and of education, the quality of education at these universities is not at the same level 
as the quality of education that is achieved at UCT. I think that you will find that the traditional universities such as UCT, Stellenbosch, Witz, uh, Tuckies, they are having an uptake of students that is far more satisfactory than that of the University of Fort Hare because of the quality of education. And have you been able to, have you had opportunity to empirically test uh, that assertion? You know, um, I, I cannot now quote a statistic for you, but I'm quite sure, that, and I have personally um, encountered this on many, many occasions, where the HR people in these big corporates, they simply dismiss the CVs of people that come from institutions where the education quality has traditionally not been um, seem to be upheld. And Could I think that, that just also not be a stereotype that is being reinforced and yes. thereby actually just perpetuating the status yes. quo? Yes, I do think that that is certainly a problem. Okay, Sandy okay. Lezungu? Yeah, I'd like to come in there. I think the, the fact, um, you know, point the other way. Um, you know, I, I know of a number of students who graduated from, or, or young people who graduated from the and some from UCT, who six months into the year, they're still looking for a job uh, when their white counterparts uh, were employed on the 1st of January. Straight from um, you know, the festive season, they go into the employee. So the, that disadvantage of looking for a job six months and your, your erstwhile peer is already um, rising through the ranks, that destroys your confidence and it actually gives you a false start. And that's a fact. Um, even from graduates from the universities, uh, and, and UCT, you know, there's a study which is conducted. It's not a South African phenomenon only. I mean, in, in the U.S., for example, uh, some universities have initiated studies uh, which says um, when you're looking for a job, don't state your race, don't state your sex, um, don't state your age and just present the facts as they are. And stereotypes will actually um, act, um, which will have naturally worked against you, um, will actually level matters. And so in South Africa, unfortunately, uh, if, you, if you happen to have a, the, an African name, um, whether you're coming from VETS or UCT uh, as a graduate, uh, you actually suffer a huge disadvantage. People have got to think about ticking the boxes uh, complying with employment equity before they actually favorably look at you. They don't look We're going to have to leave it there, unfortunately. Um, Jill Connellan, uh, Chairperson of the Association for Skills Development in South Africa, and Sandy Lezungu, Vice President of the Black Business Council. Thank you so much for your time this morning, as well to our listeners who are always fantastic in their participation. Thanks for tuning in this morning. Thanks to the production team.